Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're answering the question, what is investing? And this is part two in that session. I'm Rachel Marshall, and welcome to the show, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. How are you? Great. How are you today? Great. Thank you. So today, we're going to be continuing on the rest of the conversation on investing. And we're actually at the tail end of a series on saving. This is the caboose, if you will. So we've talked about why you want to have savings and how to build a saving system in your life and really what savings is and how we contrast that with investing. Then we have dug into what exactly is investing? What is the purpose of it? And now today we want to finalize this series by helping you to understand how saving and investing work together in the big picture of your personal economy. How do you have that savings to invest? And then how do you invest well so that you can in turn save more? So we're going to give clarity to both of the roles of saving and investing within your cash flow creation system and help you see where it fits. Now, from the starting point, the cash flow creation system has mindset at the bottom. We want to have a mindset of abundance. Then we're keeping and protecting all of the wealth that we create. On top of that, we're building this layer of efficiency and making sure that we keep and control more of the dollars that are coming into our personal economy. Once we have that established, at the top is your investing. And if we flip the triangle upside down, we end up with imbalance and instability if we focus just on investing first. So we really want to have the fundamentals correct first and then be able to focus on an investing process and philosophy and system in our life that supports the rest of our personal financial objectives. So Bruce, last time we were talking about having an investor identity and how that is almost as unique as someone's individual fingerprint where no two people are investing the same way or just copying someone else's investing pattern. And we were talking about how having an investor identity is what allows you to minimize risk. It allows you to be able to focus on investments that you know and control and to be able to invest actively. And so as we have this identity of knowing how we personally are wanting to invest, let's talk about what that looks like as we get ready to deploy capital because we want to be very clear on what a deal looks like for us. If we know what we're looking for, we're not going to be as distracted by other things that somebody might come across and pitch to us because it sounds like a great idea. So let's talk about this. You if know, we, go ahead. Well, I, I think what, what you're basically saying is stay within your lane. Stay with things. Absolutely. That, stay with things that you either know about from previous experience or that you have a passion in researching uh, over and over. Uh, and that will help you uh, recognize whether whatever is being presented to you or whatever you're researching is something that is a good deal for you uh, to invest in at that particular time. So that's, that's, it's, it, it, it seems simple, but it's difficult. It's complex to stay within that particular lane. 
I think it specifically can be when you're getting started because you might say, well, I don't have anything that I have tremendous knowledge in yet, but I want to become an investor that invests well and makes my money make more money. And as you're building that skill set, sometimes you can rely on the time or knowledge of someone else. Maybe it's your capital that you have, but someone else has the time to do the research. Or you're investing your knowledge, you're investing your, your time to learn and build the knowledge so that you have the knowledge to be able to invest actively. We're also talking about this might be if you're specifically looking in real estate, there's single family homes, there's multifamily, there's commercial real estate, and those are even still very broad categories. Real estate is not the same thing from one person to the next. The same thing with business. It's not just all business is not the same. And so when you are focusing, you're able to get very clear and specific on what exact type of investing you would like to do. And so if that was real estate, that's knowing what type of real estate you want to invest in? What geographic area are you focused on? Who are you serving? What is the customer base? What are the people who are reaping the rewards of your investment, who are being served with the value you're creating? And how much capital is required to do that deal? So if you know that your starting point is $30,000, you know what you're building up towards, and you're not even going to look at deals that are pitched to you that are $5,000 range. If you know that your starting point is $500,000, you are not even looking at deals that are smaller than that. Yes. And this is something that can be applied not only to real estate, but can pl- be applied to businesses. What I've noticed with, um, and this is going to happen more and more because baby boomers are transferring uh, huge amounts of wealth to the next generation. And I have clients who come with uh, new cash and they're, 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 they're thinking about investing in something alternative to the stock market. And so they do start m- mentioning businesses. Some mention real estate. And I say to them, well, is there, is there a way that we can actually get you some knowledge before you jump in entirely? And, and a good example of this would be in real estate, when we had our guest Jimmy Vreeland on earlier, Jimmy allows you to actually be an investment holder. So you give him um, $25,000 and you be, and you get in the first position of, of a real estate venture that Jimmy has actually already set up the lease option for you. And then you get the returns of the dividends of 7% on the real estate. That is different than uh, taking that $25,000 go buying a dilapidated house, rehabbing the house, going and finding the renter, putting the renter in, trying to manage the renter, and then get cash flow off of all that. Not saying Mm -hmm. you can't do that, but people out there need to know that if real estate is something that they would like to do, there are more what I would call, or, or actually the real estate industry calls turnkey situations. So we, ha- we have these properties that we have developed for you. If you would like to get in the first position and get the cash flow off of it, uh, you can either do like Jimmy does, where all you have to do is do the uh, $25,000 down. That's all you have to do. Or you can actually purchase the property uh, from a turnkey investment and actually own the property totally outright by 
uh, getting a, a loan for that. But both of those, you really have to say to yourself, I'm going to, and this is a something that people talk about all, all the time, dip my toe in the water before they go out and buy multiple properties. Absolutely. And that's a huge part of building up that knowledge and skill set. You do have to start somewhere. And so as you're starting, you can lean on that knowledge and wisdom of somebody who has the experience. And especially one of the main things to look for in that position is how transparent are they being? Where are Where's the income coming from? What do the numbers look like? And so you're able to walk through understanding from your own perspective how this deal is a good deal for you, even if you may not be coming to the table with that professional real estate investing experience. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is really a lot of people that come into money uh, think that they have to uh, employ or deploy that money right away. So what we're really trying to do is wait for the right opportunity and not just take any opportunity. Uh, and I understand why people feel like this because their money's in the bank. It's not, it's not earning them anything, but, and so they're like anxious to get it to start earning something. But the trick is, is to just make sure that you understand where your lane is, stay in that lane. I'll give you an example. I'm looking to buy, I think the, I think the pet industry, which was a $55 billion industry in the United States last year, I think the pet industry is, is a place where um, I would like to own a business right now. So I've been looking for these opportunities. So I don't have time, though, to develop it from scratch. So I'm looking at a franchising situation right now. And I'm also looking at existing um, opportunities that are already built. I have a number in my mind that I want to uh, deploy for my own capital, and that number is where I want to start because although I've run businesses before, I've never been in the, in the pet industry. Then I was mm -hmm. given an opportunity. Uh, somebody came to me, a business broker, and said, well, I know you only wanted to spend a, a maximum of, of uh, 150000 of your own capital but I have an opportunity. It's a great cash flowing place, but it has $4 million. It's, the price tag is $4 million, where you can't use only $150,000 to leverage a $4 million business. And the reason it was so much, sure. yeah, the reason it was so much is because it also has property with it. Okay. But um, I, yes, the cash flow is great, but... And it, and it warrants the $4 million price tag. However, I would have to change what I'm investing in this, my capital, and I'm not willing to do this at, the, at, that time, at this time because I do not have enough um, knowledge within that business. Now, it, I'm telling you, Rachel, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's got me even a seasoned, what I considered a seasoned business uh, investor, it's got me really wanting to do it because the the cash flow off of it is really really good. But I'm I'm hesitating and I'm and I'm going to try to st stick to my guns here because I do not want to employ my cap that much of my capital in, into something I really don't know. Wow, Bruce. Well, thank you for just your transparency and sharing that and vulnerability there. And and I think it's really helpful to see that thought process as you're walking through this and, and kind of analyzing and saying, how do I want to build that knowledge and skill set? And how do I also want to make sure that this fits in my criteria that I've preset up? 
And I think what's really interesting about this is that in any financial decisions, it's really easy to be swayed in the moment by something that looks good, but it's really also wanting to make sure that we put ourselves in a position that we know is not going to cause more anxiety and tension because it's more than we bargained for. Yeah. And, and here's the deal, Rachel. I I would not have, I could do this if I would go out and get um, more capital investors, but now mm-hmm. I would either have a silent partner and silent partners only remain silent as long as they're receiving their income off their off of their investment. <laughs> I tell people, oh, sure. people say, well, I'm just going to be a silent partner in this. Well, you won't be silent if the deal goes <laughs> bad. I mean, that's, right. and I, and I tell that from the other end too. So yes. And I have people, uh, we're developing an investment group right now that we're going to pool our, our resources and look for different opportunities. However, this is where I want to um, uh, actually caution people, whether it's real estate investment or other business uh, activities, you have to pick uh, partners, whether uh, full partners or silent partners, uh, very, very carefully. Uh, I think that is something that causes more stress. And unfortunately, what happens is people think, well, this is a lifelong friend and we'll never have a problem um, going forward. Well, most of the time that person is a friend because you haven't had any kind of, uh, or they remain a friend because you have had, haven't had any uh, dual stress in your life. But, sure. but when you're yeah. a business partner, you have dual stress. And unless you understand how each other handles that stress, and more importantly, um, how the in-laws handle that stress. So any relationship you might have, your spouse um, or if it's a younger person and, and they're not necessarily married yet, or even if they're an, an older person that doesn't have a spouse, but they have the backing of their own family, and all of a sudden the, their family starts chirping in their ear about, well, the reason you're not doing as well is because your partner doesn't know what he's doing and or she doesn't know what he's doing. And, and so just to take an opportunity with a partner because it's out there right now, you really have to think partnerships are very, very difficult. And um, that's something that people can, I cannot emphasize more. Well, I think what's interesting is that really when it comes down to it, everything is about relationships and we're in a relationship business in general because we're serving somebody who is a person who has needs. But then when you're in business with a person as well, it's, it's all about the relationship that you have with that person. And is it the right person to continue that that trajectory forward? Do they have the right unique ability to support you with your unique ability in that specific venture? And um, yeah, thank you, Bruce, for giving us a um, a fly on the wall perspective to be able to watch as we go through that. So we'll have to ask you as how that progresses. Yes, that'll be nice. So as we're talking about this idea of waiting for the right opportunity, there's a quote by Warren Buffett that really fits in here. And he says, the trick in investing is just to sit there and watch pitch after pitch go by and wait for the one right in your sweet spot. And if people are yelling, swing, you bum, ignore them. And the point of that really is that if you know specifically what you're focused on, Bruce, if I said, well, hey, there's this uh, locomotive uh, investment that I think you should get into and it's perfect and here's the cash flow from it, you could say, well, that's not what I'm 
focused on right, right now. I'm looking at the pet industry. Right. And so it's really being able to say, this is where I'm focusing and everything outside of that, then you're able to decide more quickly and easily because you've already decided what you are focused on. So that leaves everything else in the peripheral, which is not your focus. And you're able to dedicate that time and energy to really perfecting and, and building up your knowledge and skill in that area. The other thing, Rachel, is uh, is that actually when you invest is invest on the on the current cash flow of the business, not the potential cash flow of the business. This is something that comes up every time somebody sells a particular business. They um, they look at whatever the person's asking price is, and then they say, "Well, you know, they're not really." When I'm saying the person, when I say they, I mean the person that's buying it. They say. The buyer. Well, the mm-hmm. buyer. The buyer says, well, yeah, but they're not maximizing social media. They are They are not, um, they could expand to multiple locations. They had their managers poor. So although the cash flow is only $60,000 right now to the owner, um, and that only justifies a, a, a price of $180,000, and they're asking two hundred fifty thousand. I don't want to miss out on this opportunity because I know I can imp- increase that. You should be buying on current cash flow, not what you can do on um, actually increasing the cash flow. People sell their businesses and property on future cash flow opportunities, and they may actually say that to you. Yeah, we're only doing sixty thousand now, but if you if you maximize social media and you um, go to multiple locations, you'll be able to do this. That's why I'm justifying this price. But you have to stick to your guns and you have to say, well, why should I have to pay you for future changes that I make for the business? Mm-hmm. That's a really healthy perspective because you want to know what your base is, where your starting point is, and then everything from that point forward would be improvements that you add in would increase your cash flow, but you don't want to have to go backwards first in order to get there. Yeah. And everybody tries to sell their business on, you know, future potential. And I just wanted to give that perspective to people um, because that's when people, um, they get into this uh, glassy eyed uh, kind of a situation where they, they look at the potential. And so they just are going to pay for potential instead of paying for what they're actually getting at the time. So it's a very important perspective. That's great, Bruce. And that really helps us even with this next idea that we want to talk about. And that is when we have our own investor identity solid and we understand where we're coming from and who we are, that helps you to see through the pitch or the get rich quick scheme of someone or the, hey, this is the hottest stock. You need to invest in this today. The opportunity is only going to be here for the next two hours and after that it's gone and you're going to lose the opportunity or for somebody who's pitching us something that's outside of our investor identity it really helps us to see through that and be able to stay focused and we're not just looking at investing as the opportunity to make money because if we do that that's negating our personal power bruce you know who you are and you know your investor identity you know your ability to serve people you're looking specifically at the pet industry because that's something that is important to you in your life. It, it matches up with your value system. It, you understand how that part of the world works. I know that you have a dog that we love very much as well. And, mm-hmm. and as we look at that, you are 
the investment. Your knowledge and your skill set is the main investment that you're figuring out how do I use this to give value to the people who also have pets that I want to be able to serve and how do I give them value that I can receive cash flow and compensation in return. And so having your own investor identity really helps you to value and trust yourself enough to invest in yourself to increase your ability to serve people with your investments. Well, you have to realize, and I'll, and I'll use an analogy on the real estate side, is there's, there are literally, if you look for them, there are literally hundreds of perfect once-in-a-lifetime opportunities out there. Now, when you think about that, that sounds ridiculous because if it's once in a lifetime, how can, there be, how can there be hundreds? But it's because of the perspective you come from. So my wife and I joke around all the time. We've had about seven homes in our life. And every time it was the perfect home, we're never going to move again because this is our dream home. And then <laughs> something else comes about. And early in our career, our relationship, we were like, well, we got to grab this because we'll never find something like this again. Well, we've learned from experience that there's plenty of things that we thought we were never going to find again. So, mm -hmm. so the same thing is when you're buying real estate or when you're buying a business, or as you said, a, a, uh, an opportunity, don't look at it and think, Oh, if I don't grab it right now without staying in my lane and without doing my research, then I've lost out an opportunity that's going to actually ruin or change my life. Um, so you, I, we can't emphasize enough in this investing is about staying in your lane about what you actually know. And there's no such thing as a once in a lifetime opportunity. Bruce, that's fabulous. So as we then narrow our focus and we know what we want to invest in, let's talk briefly about what this means. How do we execute the investment in a way that supports the rest of our personal economy? Well, first of all, as we're building up this emergency and opportunity fund. We have our income coming in, we have our expenses going out, there's cash flow that is the difference between the two. So we have more income coming in than our expenses. That remainder is going over into our liquid reserves. This is your emergency and your opportunity fund. So as we have that capital building up, we're building up the ability to be able to deploy that capital into an investment and invest. So now once we do invest that capital, what are we looking for? We can kind of come back to several of the purposes for investing that we talked about in part one of what is investing. And that are that you could be looking for growth or cash flow or interest. If you specifically are looking for cash flow, and I want to focus on this just for a moment. If you're looking for cash flow, that increases your overall personal income. And when you increase your overall income, say you started with 100,000, say you started with 200,000 of income from your job, and now you're investing in a cash flowing investment that generates an additional 50,000 per year. Now your total household income is 250,000. So how do you then apply the same savings rule to that 250,000 so that you continue building that savings habit because that is the foundation of the success that you are able to have in the first place. So what we want to do is continue to have that discipline of saving a portion of all that we earn. And if that's 20 or 30% ideally 
of the money that you're bringing in, then as your income increases from assets that cash flow, now you have more money to be able to save. And that allows you to build up more capital in your emergency opportunity fund, which allows you then to be able to have more capital to deploy into another opportunity or another investment. And so this is how cash flowing investments support your personal economy and how your personal economy and your disciplines that you have on a regular daily basis support your investing process. So the point of all of that is that we want to say opportunity seeks liquidity. When you have liquid capital to be able to deploy, that is when those opportunities that are the perfect once in a lifetime opportunities that match your investor identity will surface and come to your attention. So we want to never touch our emergency fund. The emergency reserves that we have that are usually six to 12 months worth of expenses, we want to leave that on the side to cover emergency situations that may arise. And then of the portion after that in our capital reserves that we would consider our opportunity fund, we want to make sure that that's the capital we're deploying. And you can always leave a buffer. 20 to 30% would be a great ideal to make sure that you're not using up all of the capital that's available to you. So let's just say you had money that you were saving in a savings account, you built up a little bit of savings there, you were building cash value life insurance, and now you're at a position where say you had 150000 of cash value in your life insurance. And say 60000 of that was your emergency fund, then you have the remaining 90000 available in an opportunity fund that you can deploy. So we're saying you don't have to use all of that. You can use a portion of it. And you can take a look at putting that into, putting it to work in assets that produce cash flow. They could also be assets that grow. And that growth then would also support your personal economy because you would have more capital to be able to invest. Yeah, and the, and the goal of all of uh, cash flow, um, especially early on, I believe, is to then replace your opportunity fund and the opportunity fund is then replenished for the next opportunity we we get people all the time that say they want to get passive income for the future and really i i think that concept is kind of odd because it's really not passive because you've worked really hard actively to develop that income in the future uh, residual income might be a better way of saying it. But as long as you build your opportunity fund up, but what happens often, Rachel, is once a person has an opportunity, they go and they get something that has cash flow. All they do is expand their personal economy income. And so they take that, they take that income from the investment and they just spend it by increasing uh, the expenditure of their own, their, their daily life. So yeah, increasing their yeah, lifestyle, increasing their lifestyle. So they, they really have not uh, freed up their lifestyle, the feeling of their lifestyle. Yes. They may have increased, you know, their, their house payment or their car payment, or they may have experienced some things greater, but especially early until you get the experience in your lane that the money from that cash flow should go back into an opportunity fund so that you can de deploy it into another uh, opportunity. Then you then yes. you can have a 25 year 25 year goal that says 
after I get three businesses with my opportunity fund, I will then start taking 10% or 15% of my cash flow and employ it into my personal economy to change my personal economy. But don't take all of it. Take a very small portion of it to do to do that. I'll give you the, I'll give you a, a somewhat of an example of this, and it's it's related to real estate. What I what I find with real estate investors all the time is uh, they they fall into two categories. They fall into a category where I am going to just pay my this this hundred thousand dollar home off. And I'm going to get complete cash flow off of that so I can increase my life, my lifestyle. So they, they take all the cash flow off of that and pay down the, the mortgage, which, you know, I'm, I understand that thinking because they are not employing it into their personal economy yet. What I tell them is, what if you took that and you employed it back into your opportunity fund and you actually then continue to buy homes at a $100,000 range that had the same cash flow? So I hope I can explain this to the listeners real quickly. So the first one buys a $100,000 home. It rents for $1,000 a month and they have $12,000 worth of gross cash flow. The second type would say to themselves, I'm not going to pay this home off. I'm actually going to take that additional cash flow. Instead of paying the home off, I'm going to employ it um, into my opportunity fund. And when I build it back up for a down payment, I'm going to take that $20,000 or $25,000 of down payment and put it back into and buying another $100,000 home. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that five times. So now now mm-hmm. let's now let's go the difference between $100,000 where you don't have a loan on it, you're going to get cash flow of of $12,000 for the year or you're going to get five homes where you have a mortgage of 393 a month, $1,000 rent, so you're your uh, your cash flow after your mortgage is six hundred and three seven dollars times five properties, which is three thousand and thirty five dollars just on your mortgage. So that's thirty six over thirty six thousand dollars rather than twelve thousand. Now, for your real estate investors that are listening to the show, I know that doesn't work with cash flow. I know there's other things, but it does work proportionally. So that's the difference in, in taking your cash flow and, and taking it back to your opportunity fund or taking your cash flow and putting it back into your business or real estate just so that you can increase your lifestyle fund. Bruce, that was a really fa- fabulous example because we can look at the 12000 of gross cash flow from the property that you just brought up. And if you what if you didn't use it to pay down the mortgage or you didn't put it into an opportunity fund? You could just increase your lifestyle by $12,000 a year. And that would be very easy to do without even blinking. And then you'd get to the end of that year and realize that you had nothing to invest more with. And you also hadn't paid down the property any more than you had planned. And so this takes a lot of strategic thinking in advance to say, what exactly am I going to do with the cash flow when it comes in? And having those guidelines and rules set in your life, because it's 
powerful to be able to take one investment and create cash flow from that, which the cash flow is then able to turn into another investment that creates more cash flow. And the way to do that is exactly as we're talking about, to be able to take the cash flow from your first investment, turn that back into your opportunity fund. At this rate, you have $12,000 a year going into the emergency fund from the first property. In two years, you've had enough money going in to buy that second property. And then you're going to have money within one year after that, because you're going to have twice the income coming in to be able to purchase an additional property. And so we do want to make sure that we're looking at it. You can almost call it a snowball effect. It's the same way that we can say we want to be always, as our income increases, we want to be increasing the percentage of income that we save or the percentage of income we put into that opportunity fund as income goes up. So just for a quick example on that, if your income was 100,000, you might save 30% and that would leave you $70,000 to live on. Imagine you then increase your income and your income is now a million. So you've 10X'd your income. You could now, if you really thought about it, you could save much more than 30% of that. You could save 70% and you still have increased your lifestyle from 70,000 to 300,000. That's just what you're spending on your daily life. And you're saving 70% of what you make. And so as your income increases, focus on increasing the amount of money that you put back into your opportunity fund. And the key that makes all of this possible, you could say, well, I want to pay it into the mortgage, as Bruce had mentioned, or pay it into something that you have access to. The point is you want money that is liquid, safe, and growing. You are able to use it for another investment. So as we wrap up and close today, you don't always have to be invested. The ultra wealthy are comfortable sitting on cash and waiting for the right opportunity. They don't buy into the idea that they always have to be invested and they're not in a rush to be invested. They stay in cash until the right deal surfaces. So I hope that today we have helped you to clarify how saving and investing work together. They're like two hands of the same person. They're, they're concurrent parts of your personal economy that work together to support each other. As you build that savings, you have more capital to invest. As you invest, you want to be able to turn that cash or capital, cash flow or cash back into saving more. And then again, as you save more, you have more money to be able to invest. So today, as we close, you can use this to think through what you're doing in your own personal life. What currently is paying you cash flow right now? Maybe you have a business, maybe you're consulting or you um, sell a product or you have a business or you're in real estate. What is generating your current cash flow today? How can you invest in that so you're more valuable? And I want to take just a moment to speak to those of you who may not be business owners at this point. Maybe it is your job and you want to say, well, I have a job and that's paying my bills right now. That's what my personal income comes from. How can you invest in that so you're more valuable even in that job situation so that you can increase your income? And then what asset classes or subcategories do you have the most knowledge or what are you most interested in that you're willing to dedicate that time to build the knowledge so that you can invest there? 
And we'd love to hear from you how your perspective on investing and supporting your whole personal economy has been enhanced, expanded, or challenged. So in the show notes, you'll have an opportunity to leave comments below. We'd also love for you to email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. We also would love to be able to help you walk through your own personal economy and find the areas of opportunity for you to increase your cash flow with the money that you already have so that you can build up a emergency and opportunity fund and have more to invest so that you can move your personal economy towards financial freedom. In closing, I want to thank you, our listeners, and we'd love to hear what you think about this conversation. Go ahead again and email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. In closing, success leaves clues. Model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. To learn how high-performing entrepreneurs 10x or more returns on liquid capital without giving up quick access to cash, go to themoneyadvantage.com forward slash liquid dash capital to get The Unfair Advantage, your 20-minute easy-to-read guide on maximizing your savings. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.